Yes. Hi, Emily. Hi, Megan. Hi, everyone. <laughs> welcome, welcome, everyone, to the second half of the part one interludes of book two in the Starfly Archive, Words of Radiance. We are recording this after the workday's over, so technically, I should get back to cleaning my apartment. I gotta get back to, uh, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I went to my eye appointment to follow up on LASIK and they were two hours behind and no one called and told me this. So I waited for two hours until they could see me and check my eyeball out. So you need to get back to treating yourself. I do need to get back to treating myself. But instead... Just kidding. The podcast is a treat for you, isn't it? It is a treat for me. We're making a podcast. We're making a podcast. (laughs) Oh, Uh, Megan, I hope I've told you this enough, but I super love podcasting with you. It's so fun. I I love podcasting with you, too. You are a great podcast co-host. I do my best. (sighs) I get to see you in person. Very soon, too. Yes, I'm driving home for family stuff. And guess what else you get to see in person very soon? Friend of the pod, Ted. I was going to say my PlayStation 5. (laughs) (laughs) Whichever one's most important, I guess. (laughs) Whichever one gets here first. You guys, I have been trying since November of last year. And it's end of June right now. And it... I'm going to jinx it by telling you all about it because I'm sure now that I've said I might get a a PlayStation because PlayStation emailed me and was like, hey, was that sound out louder in my headphones? Uh, I can hear you if that's what you're asking. Oh, no. Did you hear my phone go do-do-do? Nope. Okay, good. Sorry. (laughs) I'm a director now. (laughs) So the biggest change that has affected in my life is... I have to have I have to have notifications on my phone now. <laughs> I've gone for like eight years with keeping my phone on silent. That's so funny. Now I have to have notifications on my phone because the soup director, supervising director, might message me or emails from the showrunner or questions from my team, and I have to have my phone on all the time now. And it's outside of work hours, but we're trying to get a bunch of stuff together for the artists. Uh, the storyboard artist, because uh, VizDev on our episode came through, and it's really fun, and it's exciting. But the uh, board artists need it as reference for their... They need it as reference for their storyboards. <laughs> Sorry. I had to reply to the best. You guys, I have I'm to really worry about you being, being on Twitter. I have to worry this about you different. being distracted by other things now. And this now we have different. to add this to the list. Of Listen, work. The the Twitter stuff was selfish, self. Uh, I don't want to say self gratification or self pleasure, Emily. What do I need? <laughs> it was just it was selfish reward. And this is now I'm a part of a team. Don't you harp on all the time about being a good manager? I do. I do. You're being there for your team. Uh, I love being a director. Mostly because when you're a board artist, you only have one thing to do, which is storyboard. And it makes the day very long because all you do is just one thing. 
And I like being a director because I definitely have a ton more responsibility, but I have a lot of different responsibilities and it's easier to like chop up my day and organize it into chunks, which me, a human being addicted to check off lists, uh, really enjoys. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) But we're not here to talk about my career in animation. We're here to talk about Risen's career in merchanting. (laughs) This was a wonderful chapter i enjoyed it so much listen if the books were about risen and not shallan i would be even more excited (laughs) shallan's in the doghouse in my opinion at this point okay emily it's it's it can be difficult to critique shallan in online circles because a lot of times people will say you don't like shallan because you're sexist and you like all the boy characters but I also am like, I would rather have Risen as a character <laughs> than Shalon. <laughs> uh, sweet, sweet, naive Shalon. She will learn. But I just, I loved Risen's chapter because, okay, I don't want to spend the whole chapter comparing Risen and Shalon, but I see similarities in the two of them, but I just like the way that Risen went about it. More than the way Shalon went about hers. Although, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. My brain made a pun about Risen versus Fallen, which was a little bit of poor taste. (laughs) But Emily, Risen's back! She's back! We had her in uh, an interlude in the first book where she got her pot of shin grass and now here, our favorite merchant apprentice is here again. Mm-hmm. So uh, in this week's reading, we read interlude three and four, Risen, and then another Eshenai. And you're like, oh, Megan, Emily, only two chapters? They're very long. They're and long this is probably going to end up being a long episode again <laughs> anyway. So here we go. Emily, where is Risen and her bops? She's at the Reshi Islands. And Uh I have a question. I don't really remember this, but it sounds sort of familiar. Didn't Dalinar fight something on the Reshi Islands? Wasn't there a war? He did. That was one of his campaigns. Yeah. Uh, The Reshi Isles. Yes. Do you know where they are on the map? I knew you were going to ask me and I should have looked it up. I knew it. I knew it. Hold on. Let me find. Okay. The Reshi Isles are, like, basically the middle, they're, like, north, but they, they cover, like, the middle third of the of the continent. Mm-hmm. But even though they are so far north, uh, so in our world, the poles are very cold, mm-hmm. but the Reshi Isles do not seem to be a cold, a cold place. Are all of these islands giant monsters, or just a few are of them? Are they? So how do they not just, like, go all over the world and just, like, go off on their lonesome? I don't think they are all, I don't think they are all creatures. Okay. But a lot of them are. I guess they're so big, and I feel like in nature, the bigger something is, the slower it is. You know, you've got, like, I mean, you've got, like, elephants and rhinos who can, you know, charge, but overall kind of lumber or like whales are, are beautiful but they move very slow so i wonder if that's what these um these islands are like 
Yeah, so um, I don't know if all of the, the masses that we see on the map are these living islands, but there are, uh, she says, dozens, perhaps hundreds of these moving islands floated in the sea. And sometimes they get close enough to fight. I absolutely love the camaraderie of this because this is the first time she has gone to this place and she's not terribly impressed with their guide or the guards who apparently have never seen a parasol like mm-hmm. she's pretty not holier than thou that's definitely not it but she's pretty like believes that she is uh more cultured than these people which will come out later and we'll talk about that more and the idea that it's everyone's little like joyous secret to not tell people the islands are actually living beings and to see people experience it for the first time and i think she's a little mad that she's like you didn't tell me they're like we just love watching people figure this out mm-hmm. why didn't anyone tell me she demanded looking back at the boat's other two occupants is better to see Goo said paddling with his usual relaxed posture she did not much care for her smirk yeah and they're just like we never tell new people ever this is just like the way it is and i'm just like i'm on board with that we so oh go ahead no oh, here's no, my question i'm double checking a fact uh so if these are great shells like the greatest of the great shells i'm assuming they have gem hearts and if dalinar's already been out here have they tried killing one like i would think that would take have so they? many more storm blades you know, than than they had on hand to try and kill one of these things. But I can't imagine they would they would do that because I mean it's this I can't imagine anyone would let them do that. Well because we've uh we've had mentioned before when we were talking about history when um back in the Palinaeum when Shalon was learning about Gavilar's first excursion meeting the the Parshendi or as we know them now, the listeners that everyone was shocked that chasm fiends existed out here where the nat natanaton <laughs> the natanaton uh lands used to be and so yeah emily maybe one of the reasons why they've kept the nature of their islands a secret is to do these things have gem hearts does everything large in this world have a gem heart well everything large mm-hmm. and vaguely crustaceanish uh-huh Emily, we have actually been to the Reshi Islands before in the books. When? Do you remember the interlude with the two old Ardents that lived together and he yes. loved to cook and she was measuring spren? Yeah, the spren. Yeah, they lived on a small outpost in the Reshi Isles. Oh, I love that. So listen, now that's that's two things from the last book that we're seeing again. <laughs> So Risen is here to perform the trade in lieu of her bops because Emily, what's wrong with him? He is ill. He is poorly. So ill. He is sickly. Like like a Victorian child with consumption. (laughs) He's he's got Roshar TB. He's got (laughs) blood on his hanky chief. His hand could chief. His hand could hot. And he insists with her... That she must be bold in the trade. Mm-hmm. That this thing has been years in the making and they can't just go and come back. Like this is their one shot to come and trade for this thing, whatever it is. Like it has been set up. 
she cannot fail this and uh, had so much anxiety through this chapter Megan so a lot of this chapter is world building and we know all of you listeners every single person who listens is an avid reader of the books I'm sure (laughs) none of you are here just for us I mean we're charming and delightful but (laughs) except for Jenny Jenny please read these books Jenny you Um, haven't read the books yet She's busy. <laughs> but yeah, Jenny, read, read the book. So there's a lot of really great, like the first time Shalon uh, came to the Palinam or when Kaladin first came to the war camps, we're getting a lot of Risen's point of view as she's, look at this stuff, isn't it neat? <laughs> and as she is walking through to her trade, she sees some kind of prisoner. Yes. Oh, Megan. Okay. I got really freaked out about this because Uh it is, uh, it is, uh, okay. They, they named the sort of culture. I don't know. Okay. It's an Amian. A-I-M-I-A-N. Yeah. I say it Amian, but it may be Amian, like aim a bow and arrow. So. We're just going to say Amian. But he is hung from his ankles, just hanging out there swinging. Sugar, we're going down. And at one point, she talks about his shadow. A Voidbringer shadow. His Voidbringer shadow that goes the wrong way. Megan, is Yasna a Voidbringer? Is she wrong about the parchment and she's actually a Voidbringer? Because her shadow goes the wrong way. So you brought this up that yes, yes, and the shadow goes the wrong way. But Emily, we have seen this happen to one other person in these books. It's the 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 traitor that has all the bad luck, the the ale spren, the elusive ale spren researcher. Yeah, the spren researcher, and Emily. The reason why his shadow also goes the wrong way. This is him. Oh. We are now three for three on repeats from interludes. This is Axes the Collector, oh, okay. and he has come here to search something very specific. So here we go. Don't ask about the soul of their god, the creature said. They don't like to speak of that, it turns out. Must be spectacular to let the beasts grow this large, beyond even the spren who inhabit the bodies of ordinary great shells. He's out here spren researching. But uh, Emily, one of the reasons why I love this interlude so much is we are getting repeats and echoes from the interludes from the first book. I love it. I love it. And she feels really bad for him. And the guards say, don't feel bad for him. He could escape if he wished. So I don't know why he's being a glutton for punishment. I don't know why he's staying there. Is he observing other spren while they're there, while he's tied up upside down, I don't know, but upside down, hanging from his ankles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we find out that people cliff jump for fun, naked, in this island, and that it's not just the rushy people because Risen at the beginning is. She's like, I'm not a prude like the Alethi, but she is. A, I mean, compa- 
she's kind of being a prude about this. I think she's taken by surprise. I think I would have the same reaction she did. But it's not just reshy people who are racing to the water's edge, buck naked. It's Thalens. There's other, there's reshy. There are one or two Alethi people. And the further she climbs up these stairs to go meet with their leader to do this trade, there's people at like several different levels who are jumping off to show off to the um, outsiders and Brandon puts kind of like a ticking time bomb on this because apparently you only have so long to hang out at the Reshi Islands uh, before you have to say yes I will join you no I will not and if you don't they're like get out so I liked I kind of like that where they're like we're just here having a good time and if you're not here to have a good time you can get out Mm-hmm. And the thing with the prude conversation is that, like, different cultures have different levels, like, different acceptable levels of modesty mm-hmm. or, you know, nudity versus clothed. And, you know, like, the Alethi get embarrassed by the sight of a covered hand. But honestly, if you're from a culture that grew up modest, it may be kind of a shock to you when you travel somewhere and it's like, oh, my gosh, I've brought my children to a nude beach uh okay kids let's have a conversation about something that's very different from how we grew up (laughs) that didn't happen to me but it's it's happened to people i know as they went on vacation with their family and they're like let's go to the beach and they find out that it was like a a family friendly topless beach and they're like okay let's talk about this (laughs) so they meet the king and the king is a woman yeah the gender doesn't matter here King can be male, female, whatever. I really liked that. Uh, so they're climbing the steps. How many steps to the top of the tower? Huff and puff, huff and puff. Huff and puff, huff and puff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's able to see how far they've climbed. She has the very same reaction that I do with heights. So with, like, your stomach, like, bleh, you know, and then your knees go weak. One of my friends is a private chef for an extremely wealthy family, like, like an extremely wealthy family so they just built a new house and my friend is their private chef and they like built her own kitchen for her like she has her own space in this house and it's like a five-story house there is an elevator in this house and we were touring it uh going around seeing it before everything was done and um She took us to see where the elevator was going to be. And they had blocked it off. So there's, you know, chest height board. So you can't like literally fall in. But we were at the top of the house. And I remember just looking over the edge and kept going and kept going and kept going because you could not see the bottom. And I had to sit down because I was so about it. Yeah, she's. She's going to have to go out on a shelf where the king is. And she says, uh, steady, Risen told herself, she would show her baps that she was capable. She was not the ignorant girl who had misjudged the shin or who had offended the Irali. She had learned. But then the very first thing we learn is she's like, oh, the king's a dude. And then she's like, oh, no, the king's a woman. I like how Brandon has set her up to be ignorant, but not... What's the word I'm looking for, Megan? She's ignorant, but she's not dangerous. That's definitely not the word I want to use, but... She's new. She's inexperienced. Mm -hmm. More than she is ignorant. And she's kind of like, 
I can't believe I'm doing this. I cannot believe I'm doing this. But I like that she has acknowledged her previous faults of, I misjudged these people, and because of my ignorance, I angered this other people. I'm not going to do that this time. But she does. She does end up doing it because she's supposed to basically logic out logic and argue as to why she should be allowed to trade in the place of her BAPSC. And she kind of brings up this argument of, well, you guys live on an island, so you don't have access to basically all the amazing things that are not on this island specific fibers for clothing and medicine and all these things. And the person comes right back. She doesn't get to talk directly to the king. She's talking to the king's son. And he's like, the way that Brandon did it was so funny. I'm so tired of explaining this, the man continued. We live simply. That does not make us stupid. For years, the outsiders came trying to exploit us because of our ignorance. We are tired of it, woman. Everything you say is true. Not true. Obvious. Yet you say it as if we'd never stop to consider, oh, medicine. Of course we need medicine. Thank you for pointing that out. I was just going to sit here and die. I love this dude. Um, I really like that. Instead of coming in and being so cool, I mean, we haven't seen her for a while. I mean, she, like we said, she still has that pot of grass that she's been taking care of. And and we, I have feelings about the grass and I love it so much. Um, that she comes in and she still has stuff to learn. And I like being able to see those lessons happen in real time. I am so happy for how much you like this interlude. <laughs> and I love that she takes care of the grass and she's like... She's decided to put all of her bad feelings into it. And if, and so she's not being sullen. The grass is being sullen. I love, I love it. I think it's adorable. So she kind of, she, she's able to regain her footing and regain, gain her ground. And she's invited to speak with the king, which is yeah. much further than I think some of the people thought she was going to get. Um, but Megan, you got to explain to me the king's son studied with, with her Babsk. Is that what happened? Yes. The king's son has also studied under Risen's Babsk. Vistim. He learned uh, Thalen trade. And we'll find out at the very end of this interlude that this was all sort of like a, a planted plan a to test Risen. Mm-hmm. And Which so I was so angry about. I <sighs> hated that. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> well... I actually, I really liked it because it's it's good to give her a dry run in a situation where the trade was already set. Like, what if there was an actual emergency and she had to trade in his place and she totally messed it up? That, like, this was the safe way for her to try it first. They didn't expect her to jump off the island. I think what they expected was for her to fail. And I, I'm thinking her bops told them like, really like push her hard. And, you know, she can fail. You're allowed to say no, even though a real trade had already been established because he has a pre-established relationship with this family. And it was deceitful, Danielle, and I will not have it. <laughs> Man, <laughs> Why you gotta be such a buzzkill? I'm not. I'm speaking my truth. You're not. You're allowed to feel this way. 
Because But I like that Risen sort of surpasses everyone's expectations. I feel that that means he doesn't really trust her. That all the work she had done was for nothing because he wasn't being honest with her. He didn't trust her enough to really entrust her with something like this. Okay, so Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Uh, Grey's Anatomy is about training people to be surgeons. And there are several instances where older, more experienced surgeons know that the person who has come in cannot be saved. And they set their interns or their residents on this case knowing they will fail. I hate it. And it's very funny because Emily, you it's react. It's funny because uh, people die. Several what? of the interns react oh. that it's not fair. And listen, I am not in a I am not in a career where people die when I mess up. <laughs> so I don't think there's a storyboard filmmaking equivalent to throwing someone to the wolves like this. Basically, I feel it was better for her to experience this experience in a controlled environment even though she was the so like when you have an experiment there's the control group and then the subject group Mm -hmm. and no that's not what this is that's not what this is at all let me try again I think it's better for her to really go at it like she feels it's real but he set up a safe environment for her to fail in that like Had she failed at this test, she wouldn't have actually failed. The trade would still go through. Rather than, what if they went somewhere where he didn't know them and he was, and he still pretended to be sick and sent her there on her own? I don't think he would have done that if he didn't know them. Okay. You're, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm saying it would be worse. Listen, how does this pair up with the lesson, do you feel? I think yes. this is worse than the lesson. You think this is worse? Yes, they killed some people. They were bad people. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not being funny. I think this is worse than the lesson. Okay, but you also have social anxiety, so... <laughs> We don't have to fight about this. We can just disagree about this. I'm trying to explain why I feel so strongly Uh about this. Because I totally see your point of view. I'm not arguing your point of view. I'm just saying he pretended to be sick. She gave it a thousand percent. Sorry, Mr. Monk. There can be a thousand percent of something, okay? And she ends up shattering both of her legs. (laughs) No! She was gonna Okay, this that would be like if while Yasna was doing the lesson, if Shalon jumps into the middle of the lesson and like dives in front of Yasna's soul casting to stop her. Like there's literally no way Yasna could have foreseen that happening. And so I guess they tried to control the situation, but didn't account for Risen's stubbornness. Plucky girl reporter. No, no, that is not what she is. If anything, Axie's the collector is the plucky girl reporter. I love that. 
reason she shatters both of her legs is because the, both the king's son and the king tell her, look, you've come further than anyone ever expected you to. This is still honorable. We're still saying no, but you can go back to your master, your Babsk, and tell him how well you did. And we'll just do this again in 20 years or 10 years or however long it's going to be. And she has been entrusted with this, Megan. She has been given a task and is going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So she like... I don't know if she's tied herself up or she's just holding the rope, but she climbs down to talk directly to the giant great shell monster island. And it doesn't because I I love her. She did so great. She says, oh, great. Reluna risen says loudly, your people refuse to trade with me. So I come to you to beg your people need what I have brought, but I need to trade even more. I cannot afford to return. And she obviously knows this thing is not going to answer her. I think she's just trying to really like do anything to show how serious she is about this trade, which a plus, 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 plus girl. Right. But I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm trying to do that less. <laughs> and, and the king issues a command for her to come back. And she's like, are you going to trade with me? And they're like, it doesn't matter. The king has given a command. You have to do it. And so as she's about to get back up, the rope pulls tight and snaps and she falls. I mean, she has climbed a mountain and she falls down off the mountain, which not funny, but sort of funny. She cliffs dives. Risen has fallen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was about to say, everyone else has been cliff diving and they're like, to impress the foreigners, we go up super high. And I'm like, now a foreigner has jumped off the very top most mountain piece and survived. And Take that. And she broke her legs. She shattered both her legs. Uh, because really she believed... Love- in her mentor and that he (laughs) wouldn't send her to do something unless it was important it was important emily he is responsible for her training he He is trying to teach her her that is dead no it would come to okay so i think what we learned here don't lie to people (laughs) oh you heard it here first everyone (laughs) lying is worse than killing people in an alleyway This is like Superman and Batman arguing. (laughs) (laughs) The robbers killed my parents, Superman. Right there outside of the theater. Yes, but Batman, you shouldn't have told me that you didn't eat all the cookies when actually it was you. It's worse than they killed my parents, Superman. (laughs) You know, Batman, I don't think it is because you know right from wrong and lying is wrong. That's what the real Batman versus Superman movie should have been. (laughs) Emily... I am sorry that this feels like such a huge betrayal it to you. It was 100% a big betrayal to me. Because for me, it ends up being a huge triumph for Risen because they set her up to fail and then she went above and beyond and succeeded. Oh, I agree uh, with that. I don't think she failed at all. I think she did marvelously. Right. I just don't agree with their point. I want to talk about the moment when she's falling because Brandon writes in a slow motion shot Mm -hmm. into this fall. And like, I can see it. I can see it in my movie mind's eye as she's going, ah, 
ah, and then everything freezes for just a second, just as she's falling past the eye of the island, and she sees herself reflected in the eye, and do you know what this reminds me of? What? Shalon and the Sandfid. Oh! And I know we said we aren't going to compare the two all the way through, <laughs> but there are, you must admit, cinematic parallels. <laughs> and I enjoy that. I think that's great. I love that. Are they foils? Can mm-hmm. they be foils? Can I decide that they're foils? That's not I what know. a foil is. I know. They're both girls. They they're both be, apprentices. They can be parallels, but they can't be foils. Why not? Shalom's uh, dumb. Foils? And Risen is plucky. <laughs> That's not what makes you a foil. Okay, so in literary terms. <laughs> Sorry, I love this so much. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, in literary terms, a foil is someone who's presented as a contrast to the character. So just to point out some either thematic difference or advantage or like character what's the opposite of a character deficit like character virtue okay i'm gonna say character virtue or character deficit so like it's got to be two characters that have similar backgrounds and i'm gonna say personalities but they take their gifts or situations and they use them in very different ways and while we have seen a lot of similarities between Risen and Shallan I don't think they are in the story in order to demonstrate how different these characters are if anything Shallan and Kaladin were foils in the first book no I take that back I take that back. I rescind that. I don't but, like, think they're foils. I just really love giving you a hard time. <laughs> You're so <laughs> mean to me. Sorry. But I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy podcasting with you. I also enjoy podcasting with you. But uh, I'm I'm going to say that I'm going to keep harping on that Kaladin and Moash are foils. <laughs> These two aren't. <laughs> I will take that. I believe that they are foils. I believe Kaladin and Moash are foils. Um, so, oh, go ahead. I want to say one thing where when you're first reading it through and then Risen as she's falling mentions that it feels like she hovers. She seems to hang in the air for a fraction of a second before she crashes down. Mm-hmm. That when you're first reading it, that feels like it's a cinematic choice. It's a style choice. But when her Bobs is talking to her, Vistim, he mentions that the spren cushioned her fall. And so I think that was what was happening in this moment, is the spren are trying to slow her down before she hits the water. What kind of spren, though? Can't... Do you know what? You'd have to ask uh, the quirky girl reporter, <laughs> okay. Axis the Collector. Okay. He's, he's trying to find that out. Hey, Emily, what kind of spren would it be? What kind of spren could slow a fall? Well, I'm thinking, I mean, I want to say like wind spren or something, but if it's the soul, quote unquote, of the great shell i would think it would be soul spren or something okay i actually have two things for you to add to your spren watch in your notebook right now okay. because earlier in this chapter we saw shame spren um which risen felt when she was embarrassed about the the nude beach the nakey bodies the nakey bodies <laughs> this... <laughs> Uh, and the shame spren are shaped like white and red flower petals that drifted on a wind. Very anime. 
and then I need you to put a blank space and next to that I need you to write giant creature mystery spren and I want you to remember that because Rafo. Okay. So you are asking very correct questions here. Amazing job. You're reading a book very well. Thank you. Okay, here is the other reason that I really, really admire Risen. Because she's laying there in a strange land, not paralyzed, but gravely injured. And, you know, Vistim is saying, like, you really went above and beyond. And he's explaining that he had lied to her, which I would have been irate. But she feels a prickling sensation on her arm and she looks down and there is a bug on her and she doesn't immediately flinch and smash it which is what i would have done which would have been bad do you remember what their dogs look like yes ants yes so instead of creepy crawly bug i need you to instead put a little layer of perception over this animal that to risen this is the equivalent of a chipmunk okay Okay. That it's a little a little tiny crab-like creature, but everything's crab-like creatures. <laughs> so it, it's think of it as a chipmunk for her, but for you, you'd be like a horrible disgusting <laughs> bug, get it away from me. She's a Disney princess with a little sidekick animal. <laughs> but yeah, um and she's told uh they're told that it's so it's about as big as the palm of her hand a creature that looked like a kremlin but with wings that folded along the back so we know it is not from the eastern side of the world where all of the storm clouds gather or whatever because it would just be blown away and uh vistim is explaining we're here for this we were just supposed to get the carcass of one and they are so rare like i it, it kind of made it sound like the carcass is like one of the last of these kind in the world but they gave it to her they gave her the live one i think because of her sacrifice yeah that like the 16 boats full of goods that they brought like unbelievable riches was just to trade for a single bug pinned to a board basically <laughs> And you got to realize that because Vistim is a trader, that for him, the 16 boats full of goods is an investment compared to the price he will be able to get for this somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And the people did not give this creature to her. He says, this was given to you by the island itself. And... Uh, they don't know how grievously she is injured. They do not know if she will be able to walk again. Yeah. But Vistim says that she will trade again. And as she drank, the small creature flew up towards the rafters of the hut and perched there, looking down at her with eyes of solid silver. I love that she ends this chapter with another collection another piece for her collection <laughs> mm-hmm. what yep me too <laughs> sorry i wanted to say stuff and no i can't <laughs> all right well that is interlude 1.3 oh, 
And now we're going to 1.4, Last Legion, another Eshenai chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, we <sighs> learned. Oh, no. I'm so worried about this now. I'm very worried about this. There's a lot of things uh-huh. I'm worried about. What uh, happened? Apparently, Stormlight is spread. No. No? Oh, I feel way better about this then. Because they're looking at a... They're looking at a... A gem with Stormlight they, in it. Yes. Very close. They are looking at a gem with a particular type of spren trapped in it. Oh, The okay. spren itself is not Stormlight. This is a Storm spren, which okay. looks specifically, I want to say, like lightning? Nope. This is a smoky creature. Mm-hmm. Forget the lightning thing. It's not important. <laughs> so, while people, well, humans know how to trap stormlight inside gems. It turns out the listeners know how to trap spren inside gems. I was so worried about the, um, the, uh, what's we're looking for? That's the word I'm looking for, Megan. Not mental, not emotional. Moral? Oh yeah, the moral weight of Kaladin eating stormlight to do magic, burning it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with it being like this. Yeah. Right? Ethical. I mean, that that would have been a very cool ethical conundrum because, Emily, wouldn't that be like Sadius burning through all of these bridgemen mm-hmm. in order to win a war with Kaladin burning through all of this spread to get the power of Stormlight? But I, I, this may not be true forever, but to my knowledge, Stormlight is not spread. Nice. Bats are bugs. I was about to say. That. <laughs> no, I wish I would have. <laughs> uh, Emily, I want to jump back to something we talked about in book one. All right. I've been re-listening to our book one uh, coverage. And when we first meet Dalinar and we're learning about the initial setup of this war on the plane, it was Dalinar who suggested a siege-type tactics. And he mentions that the Parshendi must have gathered a ton of supplies because they've just, like, dug in and they've never moved. And he's like, the Parshendi must have known, the Parshendi must have planned. But we learned something about the listeners, one of their sources of nourishment in the last interlude. Do you remember what it was? The creme water. Yeah. So they're they're literally, they didn't have to pack huge, I mean, they do have some farming, but they are literally getting nourishment from eating, you know, drinking the mineral water. Mineral water. <laughs> Listener, mineral water. It's got crap. <laughs> anyway, that was a world building thing that was mentioned in the first book that I was like, oh, I forgot to mention that during our last interlude. I just feel so bad for these these listeners because Dalinar they just go and slaughter wholesale uh, mm-hmm. you know who they think is Parshendi after Parshendi after Parshendi and we get the other side of it with Eshenai about how few of them are left and how tragic this is and how she really doesn't want to be there doing this it's 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 really hammered home here in this episode that she really just wants to be out studying and exploring and going over maps but she feels a duty to her people Mm -hmm. 
due to her station in life, that sort of thing. <sighs> I just feel bad yeah, for and him. And again, in the first book, they're treated like the orcs from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. That they're like, they're video game enemies. You can mow through a million of them just to show how high level you are. And you just, you fight them because they're the enemy. And now in the second book... And I think it's so interesting that we're learning this about them after Yasna has made her discoveries related to Voidbringers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, lo- I love it. <laughs> Emily, this this book series, there's so much all the time. So I have a question uh, for you, Meg. So yep. the reason they are examining this spren, specific spren that they've trapped in this gem, is that uh, Eshenai's sister wants, wants to, or is it... Who's Billa? That's not her sister. Oh, no. That's not her sister. So, uh, Billa and Thude, Thude, my dude, uh, are a war pair that um, is from Eshenai's own, uh, her own personal division. Mm-hmm. So, remember in the last book where Dalinar's like, these war pairs, what if they're not master and apprentice? What if it's a guy and a girl? So Bila and Thude are one of these male and female war pairs. Got it. Um, and her sister is Venli, who is that's currently right. off screen. So the question is, uh, well, first of all, Bila is just like, uh, is it going to help me kill humans? Like that is her only thing. That's all she wants to do is be able to harness this to kill humans. That is her goal in life. Um, mm-hmm. And Eshenai says this could change the world if Venli is right and she can bond with this spren and come out with anything other than dull form. Uh, bug. Uh, uh. See, that's what happens. Blah! Well, at the very least, we will have an entirely new form to choose. At the greatest, we will have power to control the storms and tap their energy. So is this bonding? Because it's not a special spren. It's just storm spren. But is this how they're going to unlock? Are we going to get radiant listeners? So this is different than the radiant the the radiant bond that is happening already okay this is answering the question you had last interlude which is how do the parshendi change form Mm -hmm. so what you're supposed to do is you go into a high storm singing a proper song to attract a proper spren and you bond with it and are reborn with a new body so um how familiar are you with pokemon enough that i could i know they evolve do you know that's what i know do you know how eevees work no are they the ones that look like pikachu a little bit yeah they look sort of like a brown pikachu fox Mm -hmm. with the with the lighter ruffled collar so most pokemon like pikachu uh they always evolve into the same thing so pikachu becomes raichu and bulbasaur becomes ivysaur becomes you know um, but an Eevee, if you evolve it with a particular stone, it will change into a different form. So you can get an electric type Volteon, or you can get a flame type Flareon. Um, so like that, if the Parshendi change bonding with just a particular type of spren, and it doesn't have to be specific, like... You know, Kaladin and Syl have what they have, mm-hmm. and I don't think Kaladin could do that with any honor spren that he found. Yeah. I think it has to be the specific one. And that uh, Shalon, as she's with Pattern, 
I don't think she could get the same benefits from, like, a different cryptic spread. Yeah. Well, they also um, say that they've really had to work hard to learn this knowledge because it used to be you just went in and had to just hope you came out with the form you wanted. You could go in wanting mm-hmm. to become a soldier but come out in mate form instead. Yeah, and so now they pre-trap the specific spren they want and take it with them into the storm. Now, this is very interesting. The listeners had learned that capturing spren was possible from the humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have we seen humans capturing spren up to this point? No, I I wonder if... I wonder who they would have learned it from because I don't think it would have been Gavilar. I feel like it would have happened a lot earlier than that because they killed Gavilar because he wanted to release the gods, but they didn't want... I don't know. I don't know. So the the Parshmen, which are the peoples that the humans have enslaved, mm-hmm. are different than the listeners who is, like, not not different from, but like... They're two separate communities. They're two separate civilizations. And the listeners who we're with now, Gavilar and his crew were the first humans they ever met. And they had several instances. Like, they didn't kill Gavilar the next day. Mm -hmm. They met and they talked enough times building up to a peace treaty that they could have interacted with a few other people in the meantime before the night of the peace treaty. It's only been six years since Gavilar was killed, not since they met Gavilar. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Got it. But... That means that the pri- their primary contacts were the Alethi. So they would have learned from some people in the Alethi culture know how to trap Spren. We haven't seen that yet, so Rafo that. We'll have to find out who it is later. So she meets, uh, as Eshenai is uh, thinking about the loss and their long history and just what war has done to them, she comes across a bunch of listeners who are in what form? Dull form. What the humans call parchment. Almost. Oh. They looked much like what the humans called parchment, though they were a little taller and not nearly as stupid. So what the parchman form is and what dull form is are close but they are not the same thing so what spren do you use to become a dull form i don't know okay i mean rafo actually (laughs) because she asks if had the people bonded the wrong spren by mistake it happened sometimes but they um what is this ish and i asked did you choose this form in error or are you new spies new spies ish a spy Hey, Emily, I want... Okay, you can't just say the one Parshman we know is probably a spy. I'm worried. I I like him. I don't, I don't want him to get hurt. I'm looking up one of the epigraphs. All right. I'm going to keep talking just for a second, and then we'll put your thing in. Um, because she tells them... She asks if someone... Did someone ask you to adopt this form? Esh and I said, speaking slowly and clearly, because she remembers what it was like to be in dull form, and it's just very hard to get concepts through your brain and then to make connections and then speak words out of your mouth. And so she's trying to accommodate them and and their limitations. And the the dull forms tell her we're doing this so that when the humans come, they won't kill us and they will just basically take us with them. 
And so people are losing faith in this war. The listeners are, Mm -hmm. some of the listeners are losing faith in this war. I want you to jump back and read me the epigraph in front of chapter six, Terrible Destruction. We had never considered that there might be Parshendi spies hiding among our slaves. This is something else I should have seen. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. So there are multiple. Ruh-roh. Dun, dun, dun. All right. And I, so listen, I know Brandon has a lot of things to say and there's a lot of, you know, connections he needs to make and there's a lot of plot that needs to happen. But I really liked this paragraph that really helped us understand the listener culture much deeper. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, so once they've told her, hey, we're doing this so that we won't be killed by humans. Eshenai gets like a huge wave of fear of just like, this is, this is bad if they're thinking this, but it says forms could not be commanded. Every person was free to choose for themselves. Transformations could be cajoled and requested, but they could not be forced. Their gods had not allowed this freedom. So the listeners would have it no matter what these people could choose dull form if they wished. Esh and I could do nothing about it. Not directly. And I really, I really like that he took the time to put that in. Just this tiny, tiny little glimpse into their culture. Um, because we've had, like you said, Megan, we've had a whole book from one culture's point of view about these people, about how stupid they are and slow and everything. But they have such strong feelings about we were not allowed to use this in the past and therefore now that we can use it no one will ever take it away from us not even ourselves Ooh, love it poetic and we are uh we're getting just little crumbs of information about the listeners gods Mm -hmm. that we found out last time that they killed Gavilar because he wanted to bring them back. So obviously these gods would not have been, you know, great. And then we find out here, one of the things their gods used to do was dictate what form you had to be in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So keep keep an eye out for more of this information. But it's very interesting to me that we find out that the listeners' gods are gone. But and they do not want them to come back. They do not want them back. Mm-hmm. Someone else's god is also dead and gone. Uh, the Alethi, the Almighty is dead. Oh, that's right. We found that out from Dalinar. We found that out at the very end of the last book. The Dalinar's, the dude was like, I was God and now I'm dead. Uh, has he spoken with Navani about that? I... He has, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It was that conversation with Navani where she's like, Dalinar, God told you he was dead. And Dalinar's, (laughs) "Uh uh-uh. Uh uh-uh if he's dead then he was never really god that's not true (laughs) so i i think that's i think that's interesting Mm -hmm. eshenai's leg is still hurting her so she's still not going to the battlefield oh and i want to point out she's not wearing her shard plate today she is wearing a red cloth uniform over her war form and she hates it (laughs) so she and she's going to go ahead oh i think we're about to say the same thing (laughs) she's going to talk to her mother Mm -hmm. Which we, as you read, you realize her mom has some sort of form of either dementia or Alzheimer's where she believes mm-hmm. that it's a different day and that, you know, Eshenai is much younger than she is and and she's just not there pre- in the present. But this is, okay, I'm not going to say this is a gift. That is 
not what I mean at all. I mean that she needs a memory that her mom has. And her mom has a great memory because she's able to totally recall this very specific day that they're living. And so it's not a gift. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. But it's a lucky break, I guess, that her mom is having this Mm -hmm. sort of day that she can think back to that sort of thing. Because I feel like if the mom had been in the present, she would not have been able to go back and remember this song. But because her mind has told her, oh, this is who you are and this is what day it is. And the the person you were on this day would know that song. Therefore, you know that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple things that I want to point out in the conversation before we get to the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eshenai's mom talks about that it's Venli's first day of transformation. We need to prepare her. And this sounds like it's a, like a coming of age celebration, mm-hmm. like maybe like a quinceanera or a bat mitzvah. Um, and it's a day that's really special and like this is uh, basically this is the the mind frame, the time frame that her mother is in because when you have a neurological disease like this, um, your brain's ability to access your memory core pretty much is damaged and so it gives you like you basically are living inside of your memories Mm -hmm. because your brain can't differentiate memories from reality. Um, But the the biggest problem is, is you're losing a ton of memories as it goes along because it's degenerative. However, in our world, uh, music therapy is actually something that is highly beneficial to Alzheimer's patients and dementia patients because where the brain stores music is a different place than where it, so- where it stores sense memory or like... It- Experience long-term, okay, long-term memory is what I'm looking for. And so I love that Brandon has her mom remember the song because that parallels how this condition works in our world with these types of patients. Um, And mom sings her this historical song, singing to one of the rhythms of remembrance. The last legion, that was our name then. That's the title of the chapter. Plus, it's like the last legion. There's not very many of them left standing. (laughs) Tell me about this song. Um, The warriors who had been set to fight in the furthest plains, this place that had once been a nation and was now rubble, dead was the freedom of most people. The forms unknown were forced upon us. Forms of power, yes, but also forms of obedience. The gods commanded and we did obey always always and then Eshenai says except for that day and so I believe this is akin to I don't want to compare and contrast too many things but to them this feels very momentous as this is the day they rebelled and I almost am I mean you have to think about the day that Dalinar saw where all of the radiance came and put their swords down and was like wear out peace why Emily that's such an interesting connection is it are they the Radiance with the powerful forms that can do the superhero poses on the ground? Rafa. <gasps> okay, I'm not going to straight out come out and say they were the Radiance, but it is interesting that you spotted that connection. So Thank keep you. that as you're building your detective <laughs> My board database. of red thread and pictures. <laughs> I want you to... Um, 
cut the string that's tied between Risen and Shallan. Okay. And I want you to tie a different string on the board. Are they foils? That's not what a foil is. Oh, man. Uh, and listen, sometimes... Sometimes a foil is not a similar character that makes different choices. Sometimes a foil is a character that's completely different that's only in the story to highlight a difference. So, like, an example, Watson and Holmes can also be considered foils. So, like, okay, Moriarty and Holmes can be considered foils because they both have great intelligence, but Moriarty, in a lot of the modern retellings of Sherlock, Moriarty uses his knowledge for evil and Sherlock uses his knowledge to annoy policemen. (laughs) Um, But... A different type of foil within the same story is Watson and Holmes because Watson, as existing in the story next to Holmes, serves to highlight Holmes's great intelligence. So you can have more than one foil. Maybe the foil was the treasure we found along the way. That's not what a foil is. We I'm spend every day together. To, foils to... are the real foil. <laughs> I'm gonna have to bow to your expertise because you did get a five on the AP lit exam. <laughs> and the book that I taught to our AP lit class had foils in it, so that was one of the terms that I studied real hard. Harry Potter. Oh my gosh! So, no, <laughs> as I lay dying. Oh. I just remember you telling uh, the story where you guys talked about foils and Harry and Draco being a foil, and Miss Wolsey was like, "Do not write about Harry Potter for your AP and lit." A bunch of kids a bunch did. Of people did. Fools, not foils, but fools. <laughs> uh, I gotta tell you though, from a from a teaching point of view, we were we're doing the book. I'm teaching the book to my my AP lit class because our teacher's out of town. Um, it's so funny. There was an actual adult substitute there. But Woolsey basically told her, just sit at the back of the room at the desk and let Megan teach the class, which was really gratifying, actually. Um, See, I've always been a bossy, talkative person, and it works for me. It does. And I was so prepared with, like, all the instances in this book and all the this and that and all this, that, and the other. And so we're starting class, and one of my classmates raises their hand because I'm like, let's open it up to questions. And she says... What does the color yellow represent in literature? And I'm like, in all literature? She's like, yeah. Red is always anger and passion. Why did this book talk about yellow so much? And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, uh, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. And so, like, I went through my lesson plan that I had because I was doing this for a full week. And I just remember that night furiously, like, Googling what does the color yellow represent in literature? And what I found out, shocker, is that it means different things depending on what work it's in. So that the there are, this is such a tangent, but there are overarching cultural symbolisms that are used over and over. However, each creative work can have its own specific themes and symbolisms. The yellow and so we wallpaper. Talked about the yellow wallpaper. And so we talked about the context in which yellow was used in the book and that uh, there was, like, a difference between if something was yellow or if something was gold and, like, yellow was negative and gold was true, blah, 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 blah. All of this just to say that in The Way of Kings, we have already started to see some book-specific symbology 
especially in like, okay, Stormpod. Hey, this is me talking about Stormpod some more, a better Stormlight Archives podcast <laughs> than we are. It's true. <laughs> and the way that they realized wind played a part in the destinies of everyone in the first book. Mm-hmm. What? I missed that. I've read this book like 10 times. I never connected it together. But yeah, hey, um, I kind of want to get off this tangent without making a point. So can we just get back to talking about Eshima? <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. So this is where, this is where I, I just also, like Brandon just puts in, I feel like, okay, I feel like a lot of authors, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. A lot of authors are just like, it's the plot that's the most important and people read it for the plot. And that is true. But I love what Brandon does is these tiny little character moments. And it's great that he has so many pages that he doesn't have to rush through it, but he can really kind of carefully craft this. And so we we see the mom has found these old maps of Eshenai's and we are again reminded she really just wants to be traveling and exploring the world. And I think she would have made a much better uh, apprentice to Yasna than Shalon. Again, I cannot wait to see that book where... Yeah, I I would love that version of the story. Um, oh, I love that they, they talk about that she did not hasten her pace. She let the steady sweeping beats of the rhythm of peace carry her forward. And it talks about unless you are super concentrating on a specific rhythm, your body will naturally fall into kind of whatever you're feeling. And so she very deliberately is trying to be like inner peace, in in inner peace you know because if not she's just going to be really agitated and i like that she is being very deliberate about what she wants and she knows what she needs to do in order to obtain this and she's very disciplined and i really like that about this character so she is going to be late and people are annoyed because the only reason she'd be late is on purpose like they say like there's enough of a rhythm like everyone knows all the time basically what time it is and her being late is kind of a big faux pas on her point but she says they're going to meet with the five and the reason it's called the five is that someone is there representing each form which i love that for a council i think that's great Mm-hmm. Because it, it literally gives the five different points of view, the five different ways of thinking that's represented in their in their culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else I think that's interesting to point out as she's walking towards here, Eshenai reminds me a lot of Dalinar. Mm-hmm. Um, Are they foils? That, would you stop? <laughs> you are grounded from using the word foil. <laughs> Until you learn to use it right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But I would say they are parallels because both of them obviously were very, very different characters in their youth. But this long war on both sides have really put Eshenai and Dalinar in similar positions in their respective cultures. And she has almost the exact same thought that he does about... We thought this long war would end much sooner than it has because the gem hearts have changed everything. She thought the Alethi would get bored, but she did not yeah. take into account the Alethi greed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, One more thing about her before we move on. Uh, I love how 
multifaceted she is because she's in warrior form and she is their last shard plate bearer, their last, uh, you know, shard blade bearer. But she is so thoughtful and so intelligent. Not that you can't be intelligent if you're a warrior and vice versa, but it's very rare in literature that you get such a well-rounded warrior fighter. It's usually a barbarian or a berserker or I'm just here to hit stuff really hard until it stops moving sort of a thing. And she really thinks everything through and how it connects and things like that. And she's just really cool. She is incredibly cool and i love her very much um so they are debating whether they should test Stormform with this spread mm-hmm. uh venley is 100 all for it and eshnai is very against it and you know the different factions of the five are are you know like i love the way they talk it through mm-hmm. And again, something I love in Brandon's writing, and I brought this up in the religion versus atheism discussion in book one, is how well he writes these conversations. Mm-hmm. Both of sides. Differing multiple sides, yeah. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. Venley is all for it, and Eshenai is trying to be the voice of reason, saying, these forms are tied to the gods. What if in choosing this form we invite them to return? Like, she's trying to remind them, like, this is our whole purpose is not bringing the gods back. This is why the war is going on. This is really dangerous. Have we really thought this through? And and one of the main reasons why they're like, we need new forms now is because of what they've seen Kaladin do. Mm-hmm. Oh, That if, let's see, who knows if men even have surge bindings, it might be one of the honor blades. We left one in Alethkar that night. Mm-hmm. Emily, what's an honor blade? See, I would assume it's a shard blade. Maybe they just have a different word. No, because they, they talk about her shard plate and shard blade. So I don't know what the, unless it's like one of the 10, like, or one of the eight that got left in the ground that, that day. Is it? Your face, your face, you're making a face. Listen, <laughs> you guessed it so good. Yes. I'm just going to give that to you. Yes. <laughs> so pleased with myself is it is it the original 10 emily in the in the prologue uh uh, view of the party Mm -hmm. she walks past two people who are arguing one of them is the the justice guy that we saw in the other interlude Mm -hmm. and so not the justice guy but the other guy says i don't like this what we've done was wrong that creature carries my lord's own blade. We shouldn't have let him keep it. Oh. So, Emily, in your notebook, I'd like you to ask yourself, what is the difference between a shard blade and an honor blade? All right. I'm writing it down. And who has the honor blade now? What was that? They said we left it behind that night. They left one behind that night. <laughs> Interesting. I love this. I love this. Interesting. This is so fun. Remember how I said I would never read this book series again? Uh-huh. And remember how the first book I, like, rafoed literally everything? Yes. Well, now it looks like I'm answering one in ten rafos. So. <laughs> As I say, now when I go back and reread everything, I'm so excited to pick up on yeah. stuff like this. Yeah. So diving deep into the phrase that Esh and I says here, who knows if men even have surge bindings? It might be one of the honor blades. What Kaladin does is surge binding. Mm-hmm. 
and what an honor blade does is different. Okay. That. Speaking of Kaladin. So uh-huh. the person, the listeners, excuse me, the listeners mm-hmm. have to go into a storm with a spren and come out differently. Is mm-hmm. that what happened to Kaladin when he got strung up in the high storm? He went into a high storm with a spread and came out different. He didn't have his well, powers before then, did he? Or did he? He did have his powers okay. before then. Remember, because he he healed himself when he was on a run and he diverted arrows unconsciously without knowing. Oh, what he and was he doing. carried that big plank too before, and that's before mm-hmm. that. Okay, okay, never mind. Yeah, but but Emily, you're asking really great questions. <laughs> you're asking really wonderful questions because Kaladin has this very close relationship with a spren and it is changing him and it is giving him specific powers and you know the listeners they use a specific spren to do a specific form and we know from the shalan yasna conversation that specific spren mean that you're a specific kind of radiant Mm -hmm. so what of this is like is it a different magic system is it because it works differently with a listener than it does with a human are like who were the old gods? Are there are the listeners dead gods connected to the death of the Alethes god? Is it something completely different? So we are we are just finding out stuff about the listeners. And I'm you're asking really good questions. Thank you. And we're gonna find out more. We are going to read and find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh uh listeners, I hope I hope you don't feel I'm giving away too much but if it takes us a whole year to read a book i'm gonna give emily answers faster <laughs> than she would otherwise thank get. you um we had talked about the five and how i like how you said there's one for every single you know form and 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 that way every single uh like viewpoint and so kind of right now esh and i seems to kind of be the only one holding out on this uh and and someone says we must be unified in this decision i will accept nothing else eshenai do you insist on objecting will we need to spend hours here making this decision and so it's not a decision to be taken lightly and i love that they're not going to be like four out of five dentists said yes you know it's definitely all of us have to agree and so Eshenai does agree, but with stipulations. And I think that is What's great. Her stipulation? her stipulation is, yes, let's give this a shot as long as I get to try this out. And they're just like, you're our shard bearer. You, you, if something happens, no. And she's like, I've trained other people how to use it. Listen, I'll leave it behind for those people to use. Yes, Megan. I would like to point out another parallel here that Dalinar gave away his shard and plate at the end of the last book as well. I love it. I love that. Nicely done. Uh, and food, my dude, is going to get Eshenai's plate and blade in case of an emergency. Yes. Okay. When you're on the writer's excuses cruise and you ask Brandon if Nightblood can give up its breath will you also ask if esh and i and delinar if that was definitely on purpose or if that is just a happy accident i have such bad news for you no are you not going i am not gonna grill brandon on stormlight questions on the writing excuses cruise because that's not what the cruise is for (laughs) if there's a question and answer session will you do that for me tell you what I will go to 
Well, first I'll read the entire copper mind to make sure no one else has asked these questions before. Okay. And then I'm going to try and go to Dragonsteel Con in November. Where is that? And then that? I will ask him then. It's at the Salt Palace. I can't go. I will get spoiled. Why not? I'll get spoiled. Oh. Well, uh, actually. <laughs> well, actually they what? are. <laughs> uh, they are focusing this convention to be about Mistborn. So there may... Do you know what? Maybe you just shouldn't. I'm go, not though, gonna actually, go. You go and have okay. fun and tell me all well, about it. Well, I'm gonna it. go. It's it's the week of Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. So uh, I I'm gonna do Thanksgiving in Utah. By the way, <laughs> I'm inviting myself to your house for not to visit the family, but to go to a convention. <laughs> well, I just see my Bridge Four Discord friends who are also gonna be there. Wave to them for me. Hi, Bridge Four Discord. Well, maybe they could come to pie night <gasps> not thanksgiving but pie that would be that'd awesome be fun, right? that'd be so awesome you guys are all invited okay <laughs> formally extending That's literally everyone for the bridge for discord <laughs> who is coming to dragon con you are officially you are invited, invited to our house for a pie yes night. <laughs> it's, anyway oh, please come will... please come please come that would be so much fun anyway dragon steel con is uh mistborn themed this year uh, particularly Wax and Wayne themed because it's coinciding with the release of the last Wax and Wayne book, The Lost Metal. Is it out of I won't get, I won't get any more Max out of this. I mean, Wax out of this. But I'm happy because I can't stop reading about Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Back to the back to the listeners. Anyway, uh. This is such a sister thing where Venley is like, you're, you're scooping my scoop. You're taking my thing. This was my thing. I discovered it. And I think Esh and I's, uh, counterpoint is very good that, yeah, and we need you to discover more. Mm-hmm. So you're useful where you are. We have other fighters. I, this, I'm replaceable. That's how Star Trek but, uh, should work. The captain and first mate should not go down on away missions together you've got to have somebody in charge on the ship <laughs> listen it's more interesting oh that's such a good point this is this is literally like bones being like i've made a colossal medical discovery and then kirk being like try it on me and bones is like you're the captain <laughs> and kirk's like yeah but we've got other people who could be captain <laughs> anyway the uh the other members of the five like this they like this compromise mm-hmm. but uh i want to talk about the sisters relationship okay where venley is saying after after everyone's in agreement venley is like i just i like these sisters okay (laughs) i didn't say anything sorry that wasn't me yelling at you that was me just feeling big feelings i i shouldn't have said it i shouldn't have attuned to frustration (laughs) as i said it i should have attuned to exuberance (laughs) the rhythm of exuberance uh so I love where Venley's like, you're taking all the glory. If there is glory to be had, Esh and I said to reprimand, it will be yours for discovering the form. And, uh, oh, dang it. 
uh, this wasn't the scene I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We can still but, talk about sisters. Yeah. Yeah, we can still talk about sisters, but... Um, this would be like they, if, if you drew this amazing storyboard thing and I went to claim the award in your honor saying she couldn't be here today, but I'm here... <laughs> from the back of the auditorium, <laughs> quit telling people I'm dead. <laughs> Sometimes I can still hear But I, I like that they can. So do you remember? Okay, this isn't similar to that, but do you remember the conversation that Adolin and Delinar have, and and they have like a deep, important conversation, and it doesn't just devolve into screaming at each mm-hmm. other. I love that these two sisters have such a good relationship that they can say big, I'm going to say powerful emotional things without like Mm -hmm. the other one shutting down and that they can both say, this is what I think is going on. And the other sister can say, well, this is what's going on. And this is my reasoning behind it. I just like that no one stormed off in a huff and that the conversation was left open ended. I like that we continue to get characterization and information that way. And and uh, Venley is just saying, uh, she says, you want to do it yourself, Venley said to Irritation. You always want to be first, but enough. It is done. Come with me. I will need to train you in the proper mindset to help the form work. So even though she doesn't get to do it, she's not going to sabotage this because it is such a big moment for the people and she wants to Mm -hmm. do it so bad but she's still going to be helpful and i love that that uh that brings us one one last thing uh eshenai's like hey yeah i will do this but she is hoping that this will not be necessary because we she still wants to find dalinar colin and sue for peace so she's tired of fighting and she's hoping, I think that hoping against hope that this man, I don't know if she thinks he's honorable or what, but whatever she knows about Delanor Clinton, I mean, she was there at Alethi six years ago. Yeah, they've met. They met. Yeah. And he was a total drunkard. And so I don't know how she's heard about his switch over to whatever, or if she's just like, he's the king's brother, he's in charge. Maybe she doesn't know that. He's not the king, whatever it is, but she thinks that he can help bring this war to an end. So, yeah. But there is. That is the end. Oh, so we've made it through the interludes. Yes! Uh, something that I did not point out. We didn't talk about which heralds are heralding over. Oh, that's right. These two chapters. Give me a second to look at it. Okay. All right. All right, so in interlude three, Risen, uh, we have the Herald Chachanarach. Okay, say that again. <laughs> Chachanarach. <laughs> nope. Chanarach. <laughs> <laughs> so we have seen Chanarach in front of a, uh, in front of chapters before. She is. All right. No, we have not seen Chanarachar. <laughs> Try again. You got it. Chanarach. 
Okay, so Chanarok, her her uh, palindrome name is Chanaranok. Chanaranach. Oh yeah, Chanaranach. So Chanarach is like typically how it's spelled, and then Chanaranach is her long palindrome name. Um, and she is attributed the divine attributes of being brave and obedient, which I think both of those really fit over Risen's chapter, who is both very brave and perhaps even a little over obedient. <laughs> uh, and then over Eshenai's chapter, we have... I just Googled the phrase Harold Wedges and got a ton of shoes. <laughs> Now, this is a man. <laughs> Sorry, and it's good a luck editing name. this down. All right. I would describe this man as maybe a hooded, okay, either a hooded man. A hooded spotted puppy coat. Or a helmed man. Do you think this is a hooded man or a helmed man? I think it's a helmed I man. I think it's a helm. So over Eshenai's chapter is the herald uh, Talonel. Or Talenalat, also known as... The dude who broke out of hell. Tom. Tom. Yes. <laughs> uh, and he is... Uh, his primary attributes are being dependable and being resourceful. Which, which how do you feel those related to this chapter, Molly? Uh, sorry, resourceful yes. and what was the other one? Dependable. Yeah, she is dependable even in stuff that she doesn't want to do. So. All right. Uh, that wraps up our assignment for today's reading. What? And next week's... Wait. What? This is very important. What song is going on the playlist? Oh my gosh. Uh, I wanted to Could use the song free 9 fallen. to 5. <laughs> oh, Free Fallen's good. Uh, yeah, we're going to use the song Free Fallen. <laughs> Uh, in honor of Risen. And I'm free! Free <laughs> fallen! That's a good one. I was going to use uh, 9 to 5 because it's the first time we meet the the 5. <laughs> but I like your suggestion better. Thank you. <laughs> Alright, next week's reading, we are into part 2. We're going to be reading chapter 13, The Day's Masterpiece. 14, Iron Stance. 15, a hand with the tower. <gasps> the tower! And no, Megan, we have to keep these short so that our okay. episodes don't go into the four-hour right. range. I'm thinking that too, but that's only 25 pages. Okay. All right, Emily. Yes. If we were... <sighs> I didn't mean to it's rain too... on your parade. I'm sorry. If you want no, us to read I four, know. we'll read I know. Four. You're right. You're right. I but... just have to edit all of these. <laughs> I know. We're going to go for four chapters. So we are going to do 13, The Day's Masterpiece, 14, Iron Stance, 15, A Hand with the Tower, and 16, Sword Master. Oh, that's got to be Adolin. The point of view characters for part two are Shallan. Okay. Kaladin. Great. Adolin. Yes! Sadius. What? 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 He was a viewpoint. He was a viewpoint in part one. Remember, we got one chapter from him and his wife's point of view. I hate him, though. I know. Do you know what's even worse? What? 
I don't see Adele in our I did. I, I don't either. And it's because it's Shalon. She's back and she's replaced my, my no, dad. No, we are. No. Emily, we had Shalon in part one. Remember? She was she's hanging out with Yasna. When Yasna died on the she boat. She didn't die. And then Shalon got rescued by the Santhid in a heart-touching, <laughs> miraculous moment. <laughs> After she was so dumb. She's not, she did the best with what she had. She's not great under pressure. I get this. I get it. She's better than Liz Parker under pressure. (laughs) It took Liz Parker an entire season to tell one believable lie. (laughs) All right. Uh, Everyone, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. You are all wonderful. We love you all so much. We are serious. If you're in town for Dragonsteel in November, you are welcome to our house for pie night. Uh... That's not like a general invitation to literally everyone who listens to our podcast. Like people that we personally know from the internet. So if you work really hard and are a friend of the pod before November, we'll see. But all right, that's that's all I got for me. I got to get back to uh, cleaning my apartment. I need to get back to relaxing and unwinding from the long day and my two hour late eye appointment. I'm Gross. still miffed about it i'm so sorry well uh i will catch up with you next time i believe in you i believe in you too ready Ready, break break Thank you to everyone who has joined us for this podcast for Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. Megan and I have had so much fun doing this and hanging out, but tonight I am alone and missing Megan because Megan is on the Writing Excuses cruise in the Bahamas this week, and I am not, but she has promised she will take many pictures and share everything with us when it's all done. And so I promise you all, I will post pictures on our Sis Made Me View at Instagram and Twitter so that we can all be jealous together. So I'm trying to get this all done. Oh, so I'm super behind on the party. Super behind on the Stranger Things party. Um, I'm just on the last episode now of season four. And I was like, I can do it before I get to bed and post this episode. The last episode is two hours long and it's already 11 p.m. I'm just like, I can't watch it tonight. Dang, Nabbit, so I don't have to wait till tomorrow so I can watch it and find out what happens. I have been so good about spoilers. I really like this show. I think this is the best season so far. I still think one is just in a class by itself. But season four, whoa, you actors, amazing. But anyways, this is not a Stranger Things podcast. This is a podcast where Megan and I talk about media. And we also have a couple other feeds. If you want to check back in next Thursday, that's September the 22nd, we will have our next Roswell episode up and where we talk about the 1999 version, which... I have seen and love to pieces and I'm trying to get Megan on the train for this but uh you'll just have to see how that turns out and then if you join us again on September 29th that's a week from that Thursday we'll have our next words of radiance up and that's all we'll do 
If you enjoyed listening to this podcast or our Roswell podcast or our miscellaneous feed where we've covered our flag means death and we are gearing up to cover One to Watch by Kate Stamen London, uh, we would love it if you could swing by iTunes and give us a rating, give us a review. Those help so much just kind of get our podcast out there. Listen, if you follow us, you know we don't do a ton of social media. We're just busy people. One day when we're cool, we'll have a social media person that does this for us but until now it's just us and you and your word of mouth so even if you just tell someone about us even if you just tell one person about us we would thank you from the bottom of our hearts and you would be you know mvp in our books but we're gonna wrap it up tonight with a special thanks to michael biancardi for the use of his song a passing storm that we love and use on all our podcasts we hope your week goes well. We hope everything just works out for you that either, you know, you get the email you've been waiting for or you're able to accomplish a goal that you've had for a long time or you just treat yourself and just have a nice evening. I'm going to head to bed so that tomorrow will come faster and I can finish the last episode of season four Stranger Things. Remember, we believe in you. Remember, we believe in you.